Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast. Uh, uh, kind of a two-part thing here via Zoom and uh, on SoundCloud. John Steppe, uh, one of the, the finest Iowa beat writers, the Seattle, uh, uh, Cedar <laughs> Rapids Gazette. Is that correct? Yes, that is. <laughs> All right. Well, I should have asked you beforehand for sure, but I, I didn't. <laughs> I was flying off the seat of my pants. Uh, but anyway, John's been on the beat for a couple years and does a great job covering the Hawkeyes and was kind of thrown into the mix, I think, about a year ago on the fly. And uh, he's uh, he's grabbed hold of it and does a great job. His only negative is he's a Packer fan. So, And uh, his only negative with me is I'm a Bears fan. So if that's the case, then we're in good shape. But anyway, John's here to talk all about Iowa football. Uh, it's been a very interesting year for the Hawkeyes. Um, you know, the one thing I will say, and I know that everyone gets caught up in what's happening this year with Iowa, but just, again, when you look at the consistency of this program over time, does that give any of the fan base any reason to just, okay, take a step back, Here's this, this, this is this year, and, you know, maybe, um, you know, as you come out of this year, things will, things will be better. I think that's something that would be good for fans to hear again. I think right now they're a little bit caught up in this season. But when you think about it, they've been in a tier of Big Ten West teams that have gone to Indianapolis, Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Iowa are the three schools that have represented the West. So you look at it, they've been a consistent winner. This season, though, has not been good, and it's been frustrating for fans particularly because you could see a lot of the warning signs for this offense last year under offense coordinator Brian Ferentz. Brian Ferentz talked a really good game in the offseason about change, and then change hasn't happened. It's Well, change has happened. It's just gone in the wrong direction when you look at a lot of offensive stats, where until that game against Northwestern, they were dead last in total offense, even now, I think they're 128th or 129th. I believe they're 125th in points per game. So you name the stat, and there's a good chance that they're 120th or worse in it. Third down percentage, red zone percentage, all areas where they've really struggled this season. And it gets frustrating for Iowa fans, too, because this defense is capable of having Iowa as a top-10 team. It's that good of a defense. The special teams, pretty good. Not the best special teams unit that Iowa has seen, but still a very respectable unit that I think a lot of teams would happily take Iowa's special team success in a heartbeat, especially with punter Tory Taylor. But it's just this offense that's been really frustrating for Iowa fans as they've gone 4-4 four and four here through the first eight games. So... And I'm sure this has been debated for weeks. <laughs> What's the answer? That's the million dollar question right there. Or maybe more so the nine hundred thousand dollar question, considering that's what Brian Ferentz's salary is. So a lot of fans seem to want to see a coordinator change. That's certainly not gonna happen mid season. Kirk Ferentz has made that abundantly clear. I still have a hard time imagining Kirk Ferentz firing Brian Ferentz 
So if there's going to be a coordinator change, I think it would be on Brian Ferentz's prerogative. So you have that there. A lot of fans have wanted to see a quarterback change that happened against Ohio State. Neither quarterback was spectacular, Spencer Petrus or Alex Padilla. Padilla was 5 of 10. Petrus was worse than that. Two interceptions where the Ohio State defender didn't even have to move. So I maybe could have even pulled off one or two of those interceptions. So quarterback change might have some success, but probably not much. Neither option seems to be spectacular there. And then you kind of run out of options. Schematically, I think if I were in the offensive coordinator seat, I'd look a lot at schematics in terms of how do you best put your playmakers in a position to make plays. Because you have to adjust when you don't have the offensive line ahead of you to really establish the run. And jet sweeps were really working well against Northwestern. And that was an adjustment that was made that I thought worked well. So I think it really has to, my long answer to your short question, you have to look at schematically how to put your best players in a position to show why they're your best players. And jet sweeps is certainly one aspect of that. I think they need to get better on screen passes, different ways to not put so much pressure on this very young offensive line. Well, and I, you know, and I get the angst about the court, you know, the coordinator and the fact that he's the head coach's son, and I'm sure that has been debated and talked about a lot. But it does sound like, in a way, that they just got caught in a year where they just don't have the offensive playmakers, whether it be on the offensive line or on the perimeter. And, you know, Petrus has been a good quarterback, but I wouldn't call him a great quarterback, you know, during his career. But it is it does seem like they've been caught in a re, probably a recruiting hole. And and I don't Kurt Ferentz seems like a guy that doesn't really want to jump into the portal and start adding players. So how much how much of just not having players, enough good players has has caused this problem on offense? That's a huge component of it. And with offensive line, you're really seeing the 2018 and the 2019 recruiting classes on the offensive line really did not pan out. And now when you factor in redshirt years, those players would be juniors and seniors right now. And you just don't have the production there. Jack Plum is a senior, so he's been a guy who... As now he's starting at right tackle. He's been serviceable. But Purdue fans who saw the Big Ten Championship game saw Jack Plum got beat on a few plays. Or if you watch the NFL draft, Iowa was on the highlight reel for the wrong reasons <laughs> with some of those Michigan players. So And David Bell. Yeah, another example there. So you look at it, and offensive line – you're really paying the price for lack of recruiting in 2018 and 2019. And then in in terms of wide receiver, you're really paying the price for transfers. And you're bringing in talented players who just haven't panned out. Obviously, Charlie Jones is the textbook example of somebody who really did not stand out offensively in Iowa's system. And then he goes to Purdue and 
takes off and now looks like an All-American. And that's something that Iowa fans are very well aware of. You look at it, Tyrone Tracy was somebody who looked to have a lot of potential and then really just fell out of favor in that offense last year. I think at one of the games he had something like six snaps last year. So somebody that really just, you didn't get what you were expecting, whether that's coaches not using him, whether he wasn't doing something, you don't know. But yeah, personnel-wise, particularly at offensive line wide receiver, they've been lacking. Keegan Johnson is a playmaker. True freshman last year stood out. He's been dealing with an assortment of injuries, most recently a hamstring injury, and he's played very sparingly, just a little bit in one game before having to be sidelined once again. So they're thin at offensive line and wide receiver, and that makes it more difficult. All right, give me one player on the offense that Purdue's defense should be scared of. Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to say the... Now this comes with an asterisk. But I'm going to say the true freshman running back, Caleb Johnson, is somebody who's really exciting to watch. He's a big physical running back who has done well despite not having a great offensive line ahead of him. He's coming off a 93-yard performance against Northwestern. Somebody that I think we're just starting to see the beginning of how good he is. And as I've been re-watching tape, I think to myself a lot, wow, if he had a more experienced offensive line ahead of him, watch out. So he's certainly a talented running back. He might be one of the best players on this offense. The best player on the offense is Sam LaPorta, the tight end, future NFL player. I think that is probably the person that fans would expect me to say. So I'll give you one unexpected and one expected there. LaPorta, a future NFL tight end, high-caliber player, Spencer Petrus is most trusted target. All right. Now, interesting dynamic on Saturday. You got two, I think, two of the top tight ends in the country, or in the big, yeah. at least in the Big Ten, with Payne Durham and and and, and the Iowa guy. Uh, so, I think here's here's a question that you know Purdue fans probably uh, are interested in, and probably Iowa fans as well. But if Charlie Jones was still at Iowa, what would be his role right now, in in your opinion? And I know this is a a huge guess, but where would he? What would he be doing right now for Iowa? Well, it's interesting. That's what I've been writing about for a good <laughs> chunk of today. So perfect timing with this one. You look at the numbers, and he certainly... Now, Kurt Ferentz said yesterday that we won't know what he would have done had he stayed. But when I was looking at the numbers this morning, it's pretty safe to say that he wouldn't be doing what he's been doing at Purdue had he still been at Iowa. He has more, I couldn't believe it when I saw this, he has more receptions than all of Iowa's wide receivers combined. So you look at it that way, and it wasn't even particularly close. So I really question whether with the issues that Spencer Petrus has had and just overall with the offense, would they be able to use a playmaker like Charlie Jones? I don't think you can say that confidently. The opportunity, to some extent, would be there because they need him. But how often can they get him the ball? 
when you have the quarterback issues that you have is the big question mark. And the offensive line with protection oh, yeah. and, and some other things as well. So, yeah, to me that's you – know, and I know Iowa takes a lot of heat for losing Charlie Jones and, and, and Tyrone Tracy, but how would they have fit into this year's team? Would they just – would they have moved up and down the depth chart? Would they have been starters? Would they have been reserved? I mean, it's just a lot of questions that you just – you just don't know about. All right, we spent too much time on Iowa's offense. That's 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 painstakingly hard to do. Uh, but <laughs> defensively, as you mentioned, this is one of the better units in the Big Ten. It's one of the better units in the, in the country. And uh, you know, I know you're aware of this stat, but when you take out Michigan and Ohio State, those games, I mean, they're only giving up a touchdown and a half in their other games, and that's that that is pretty impressive. And I know the defense has scored a lot of points for him this year and put the offense in position to score. Offense always hasn't done it, but they they, they do get after you. So what makes – is this just a typical Iowa defense or is there something different about this group as opposed to maybe some previous years? They have a lot of the same strengths that Iowa defenses have had for a long time, but just to another extent. This is a really solid unit. Defensive line, they have a lot of depth. Last game against Northwestern, seven sacks from seven different players, most of them on the defensive line. So you really saw the second team defensive line really do well, including a second team guy like Ethan Herkett, who goes up against Peter Skaronsky, future NFL offensive lineman, and beats him on the edge for a sack. So you look at it, the depth at defensive line is impressive. Last year was supposed to be kind of the rebuilding year for the defensive line, and then the defensive line did really well. So they've kind of been ahead of schedule on that development. Then at linebacker, conversation there starts with Jack Campbell, kind of an omnipresent guy on this defense. Somebody that Jim Harbaugh said last year, the nose for the football. He said, ahead of the Big Ten Championship, I believe that was. So he's somebody to really keep an eye out for. Really hard hitter, too. I would not want to be on the other side of a Jack Campbell hit. And it was funny in the summer when we were talking to players, and it was the first time that we had gotten to talk to players since Charlie Jones left. Spencer Petras, who of course is good friends with Charlie Jones, joked about telling Jack Campbell that he wants him at Gunner. <laughs> on punt returns which when you see Jack Campbell play you see how that would be a scary thought for whoever's on the other side so he's certainly a future NFL caliber player but then you have Seth Benson another player who I think would be getting a lot more attention had it not been for how good the guy next to him is right. so he's somebody that has moved over from Will to Leo often to account for Justin Jacobs being out for the season. So he's another really talented guy. And then Jay Higgins from Indianapolis, the guy Purdue did not recruit, has stepped into the other linebacker spot. And he's done a good job. And, okay, he's not a Jack Campbell-level player, but he's really done a serviceable job stepping up for Justin Jacobs, who's probably another future NFL player who had a season-ending injury last year. So really stacked linebacker core. Then in the secondary, obviously, you have Riley Moss, Big Ten defensive back of the year last year. 
Cooper DeGene on the other side at corner might be even better this year. As crazy as that is to say for somebody in his second year on campus, he's looked tremendous. Then you've really got an experienced group all around. Spasson Castro is maybe the least experienced guy in that nickel safety spot just because of injuries. But overall, a very experienced Iowa defense that can force turnovers, limit big plays, and they've been able to score. In Iowa's first seven games, the defense outscored the offense three times, which is kind of insane to think about. Very much so. Um, so in this Purdue-Iowa matchups, since Jeff Brown's been here, he has found a weakness uh, in the secondary. Uh who, in your opinion, will Jeff Brown be picking on uh, on Saturday? That'll be interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he tries going after Castro a little bit. He's probably the least proven guy. It also, as crazy as this sounds, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe picks on Riley Moss a little bit. Moss has not had a perfect year this year. He's made a couple mistakes. So maybe they try to go after him a little bit. I wouldn't recommend going after Cooper DeGene, though. That's the That would be probably my number one tip if I were a college coach. So, yeah, I would expect maybe Castro, but really one of the things that stood out to me is just how conservative Iowa's defense is in terms of limiting big plays and how it seems like Jeff Brown has recognized where you can just take advantage of what they're giving them. And it's worked out tremendously well. Um, you know, Riley Moss, I think Jeff picked on early in his career and had a lot of a lot of success. So, you know, the, the the criticisms that come when Purdue plays Iowa is that Iowa does not adjust its defense. They play what they play, and if you beat them, you beat them. It, they're they're going to hold true to what they've done over the long term. So. Are, are they going to keep one guy on Charlie Jones, in your opinion? Or if Charlie Jones lines up on the left, who's ever the cornerback safety over there, that's what they're going to do. If he lines up on the right, they're going to keep who's ever there. They're not going to – are they going to put one guy on Charlie and try to do it that way, or are they just going to play their play the way that they've played for 120 years? I would lean toward probably – them playing the way that they've been playing. <laughs> so we were talking to Riley Moss, and of course everyone's pretty close to the vest in terms of what they're going to do schematically. But the question came up out about is he going to line up against Charlie Jones, and he pointed out how, and I'm going to mix up left and the right here, but how traditionally Moss is on one side and Jones is on right. the other, but maybe they'll end up getting matched up a couple times. So I would imagine Iowa's going to stick to their formula and not really change much. That obviously worked out pretty well for David Bell. 240 <laughs> receiving yards later, that became abundantly clear. So we'll see, though. But I would expect them to play Iowa defense how they traditionally do and not really deviate from that. Okay, I don't want to make this Charlie Jones podcast, but i got to ask, <laughs> is there uh what what's your sense? You know how much animosity is there towards Charlie from Iowa? Or okay, this is the era of college athletics now. Guys are going to leave. They're going to use the transfer portal to their advantage, and it's just you know it's college athletic 
free agency. And But is there animosity towards Charlie? Maybe not because he left, but the timing of when he left? Publicly, they've been very cordial about <laughs> Charlie Jones leaving. Privately, that would be an interesting conversation to have. It was interesting. That question came up, or variations of that question came up to almost every Iowa player at availability this week. And some people were closer to him than others. So Spencer Petrus is still obviously pretty good friends with him. Riley Moss said, though, that he hasn't talked to Charlie Jones in a while. So I think the Iowa offense is probably those players are a little more close to Charlie. I would I hate to generalize the entire side of the football, but those players are probably a little more likely to be a little more friendly. Kayvon Merriweather, safety, really a team leader on and off the field. We were talking to him, and I asked, so if the opportunity comes to lay a hit on Charlie, is it going to be any harder than usual? (laughs) And he said maybe, maybe a little love tap. (laughs) So take that for what it's worth. It'll be interesting to see the interactions there, to say the least. Um, I think one of the better weapons on Iowa's team, and I say this in all seriousness, is the punter. You know, oh, Tor- yeah. Tor- Torrey Taylor. And I, I know he's been fantastic as far as putting the ball inside the 20 and making life difficult for opposing offenses. How big of a weapon has he been for, for Iowa just just to keep them in games and give give their team a chance to potentially win? Well, Purdue fans might see some from some traveling Iowa fans, the t-shirt, punting is winning. <laughs> That's been the NIL shirt that Tory can't personally profit off of because of his visa, but has been going to a charity, great cause, on preventing stillborn births. But he's really a celebrity. When you think about it, he's a fan favorite, really has helped Iowa turn the field position game into an advantage. He hasn't come up to the program record for punts in the game of 16, but there are times where I've wondered if he's going to eventually break that record just because he's been so important, and they've needed him a lot, too. That's the bigger thing is 16 punts would require 16 opportunities, but he punted, I think it was 10 times against South Dakota State and really helped set up the defense in good field position. He had one shanked punt against Northwestern where everyone was kind of like, whoa, that's weird. But also they hadn't needed him until the second half, so maybe he was not used to seeing action so late in the game as opposed to not being needed four times in the first half. So, yeah, he's a critical part of this special teams unit, as well as the Gunners. They've had tremendous success there. Cooper DeGene is signed on defense. He's also been a tremendous gunner in terms of there's one punt that comes to mind earlier in the season where Torrey kind of waited a second to punt and let DeGene come up, and DeGene like caught it at like the three-yard line. So it's a really good punt coverage unit as well to help out Torrey Taylor's excellent, for the most part, punting. All righty, our guest today has been John Steppe, Cedar Rapids Gazette, fine reporter, guy has a long career ahead of him. Don't know if that all includes covering the Hawkeyes the rest of your life. I'm sure you might like that, or 
he wants to go cover the Packers. So we'll see. We'll see down the <laughs> down the road. But John, great insight, great information about Iowa. Look, Look forward, forward to seeing you, you on Saturday. Saturday. Safe travels over to uh, to West Lafayette. And again, thanks uh, for joining uh, joining the Boilers Extra podcast today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Can't wait, Can't wait to see you on Saturday, Saturday for what, what should hopefully be nice weather, but we'll see. All right. Uh, thanks to John once again for joining us and giving us great insight on the uh, on the Hawkeyes heading into Saturday's uh, matchup, big matchup. Uh, you know, really for Purdue when you look at the Big Ten West uh, title uh, hopes. Um, you know, I when you you know you look at the scenarios and all that kind of stuff. Um, Purdue can lose this game and still you know, win the West. They still have to beat Illinois, but then you're banking on Illinois losing to Michigan, uh, and then you're bringing a third loss into the equation, which could bring another team into the equation, uh, and then it muddies things up because you'll have, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa right now with three losses. Nebraska uh, is in there as well. Minnesota's sitting there. So um, it would really create chaos, which we all love chaos in college (laughs) athletics, but it would make, you know, tiebreakers and all that kind of stuff come into play. If Purdue wins on Saturday, then they go to Illinois uh, with with a clear objective that if, if Purdue wins that game, they're likely going to win the West based on uh, what Illinois has coming up, but also based on what Purdue has coming up. They have Northwestern and Indiana to finish off. And if you beat Iowa and Illinois, there's no reason for you not to beat Northwestern and Indiana. But they got to get through Iowa first. And uh, this will be a very difficult matchup, and I know Jeff Brom's had Iowa's number uh, during his tenure at Purdue, um, but you just can't bank on that and say, well, you know, Brom's 4-1 and one against Iowa, so it's going to work again. Now, I, I do think Iowa's pretty stubborn, and they don't change a whole lot. They, they feel like their scheme and what they do is uh, will work, and it does. it has worked over the long term. Uh, but in these games, it hasn't it hasn't worked. And David Bell has been the guy that's tormented Iowa the most. But Purdue doesn't have David Bell. They have Charlie Jones, fine receiver, really good receiver, uh, has really come into his own and is you know showcasing his talents. But uh, he, he's not David Bell. And you know Aiden O'Connell is coming off probably one of his his uh, worst games uh, this season uh, at Wisconsin. And, and the one thing Purdue cannot do in this game is turn the ball over. Uh, and it doesn't matter where they turn the ball over. They just cannot turn the ball over. Uh, and if they turn the ball over, they will lose. Uh, it's just as simple as that. They cannot turn the ball over, whether it's interceptions, fumbles, uh, you know, things that are not technically turnovers, not converting on a fourth down or uh, getting a blocked punt, uh, things that change uh like that, they're not they're not technically turnovers, but they're change of possessions, and they they come back and and haunt you. Purdue has to play a clean game on Saturday, and I know Iowa's offense has not been good, and Purdue's defense should be able to at least slow slow them down on the ground. But as you know, the concern with Purdue uh, right now is the secondary, and while Iowa's not a a pass-heavy team, it just takes one or two plays over the top to put them in position to score. 
or, or leads to a, a touchdown and you get behind 7 nothing, 10 nothing, and you're playing uphill uh, the rest of the day. Purdue secondary, even when they when it's been healthy, has not, you know, they have not played well the last two games. I mean, it's just as simple as that. They need better play from the secondary. Um, first of all, they need them to be healthy, but they need better play. And if you've got to rotate different guys in there to make it work, then you got to rotate different guys in there to make it work. Uh, you know, we won't know exactly till Thursday what the status of Jamari Brown and Corey Trice will be. Uh, we just we're going off what we've uh, you know learned on Monday is that they hadn't practiced uh, going into the week. Uh, but then you've got Sanusi Kane who can play cornerback, and then you've got uh, Bryce Hampton who's been working out at cornerback. Uh, Purdue's going to put cornerbacks out there, but you know, are they going to have the experience of a Trice and a Brown? Uh, and that's going to be the, uh, you know, that's going to be key. I can tell you they will not get Chris Jefferson back the rest of the year. Uh, he's probably in the process of, uh, of leaving the program uh, right now. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he took a, a mental health break and uh, it doesn't appear that he will be returning uh, to the, to the team uh, this season. So, you know, that's a blow to the secondary. You know, Cam Allen hasn't played well the last two games, and I would think he would be the first one to admit that he has not played well. Um, and, you know, Purdue just doesn't have a lot of depth there, and they don't have a lot of reinforcements uh, there to, to really help. So you got to lean on a guy like Jalen Graham to make some plays for you uh, and some other guys. Um, and, you know, make sure you have all your other stuff, you know, covered as well. But uh, I wouldn't fall into the trap of just because Iowa is ranked, as as John mentioned, 120th in a lot of offensive categories nationally, that they can't hit you with a big play. They can't hit you with some some things that you haven't seen yet and put them in a position to score. And I, I, I do think points are going to be at a premium uh, on Saturday. I don't look for, um, you know, a like a 30-26 type game, you know, might be first one to 20, uh, might be first one to 17 type of game. And, and, and there is rain in the forecast uh, based on what I saw last night on the radar from the, the local news. Uh, there Now, it's just a matter of the timing of the rain. Does it come uh, before the game? Does it come during the game? Does it come after the game? Uh, but there is a blob of rain that is, you know, potentially uh, could hamper or uh, play a role in in Saturday's game. And, and Purdue's had really good weather for most of its games uh, this season. And, and history will tell you that uh, over the last five or six years, Purdue has not performed well in inclement weather conditions. Uh, you know, the Illinois game a couple years ago, um, the, you know, the game at Minnesota in 2018 when it was bone-chilling cold. Um, and they've had, they've had issues, uh, in inclement weather games and, um, for whatever reason, and maybe because they throw the ball a lot. So, you know, Saturday's really, you know, it's, it's the next big game on the schedule. If Purdue wants to win the West, a loss doesn't kill the chances, but it muddies things up to the point where you need help right now. Purdue doesn't need any help and Illinois doesn't need any help. Uh, and if both teams win Saturday, then you'll basically get a de facto uh, championship game next week in Champaign, which is, you know, kind of what you want. 
you know, you want one, you, you want these two teams to kind of decide who wins the West because they've been near the top all year. They've, uh, they've somewhat separated themselves. Illinois certainly has separated itself from the rest of the West. Uh, Purdue would be right there uh, based on, you know, what they've done the last month or so. Um, and, you know, Brahms teams over the years have been pretty good coming out, coming out of the off week. So, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, see what happens. They're going to have to run the ball effectively. They're going to have to stop the run. You know, you would think Purdue's defensive line would have a good shot of, you know, winning that battle against, uh, uh what is not your typical Iowa offensive line that the depth that Purdue is going to roll out there on the defensive line will, will eventually win the day. But as I mentioned, the big concern defensively is the secondary and they can't have the bust and breakdowns they've had the last two games. And even earlier in the season where, you know, things have gotten out of control uh, because teams have made plays through the year air. Now, if you can get more of a pass rush, that helps the secondary, but that's not what Purdue's defense is this year. Uh, they've not been a heavy pass rush team. They've not disrupted the quarterback enough, even though I think three sacks, they're averaging three sacks in the last three games, which is better numbers than what they had earlier in the year. But they, you know, they need to, they need to make some plays in the backfield uh, to really uh, disrupt uh, Iowa's offense. It may not take much to disrupt Iowa's offense, but, you know, they can't let Iowa start running downhill uh, and controlling the clock and controlling the game. Uh, you know, the defense really needs to uh, to put the offense in, in, in really good positions uh, to score. And, you know, the quicker Purdue can score, the better it's going to be. If they can play from a lead, uh, you're going to, you know, handcuff that offense from Iowa uh, even more. All righty. Well, uh, again, thanks to John uh, Steppy from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Good breakdown of the Hawkeyes. Uh, be back after the game on Saturday to uh, recap what happened and look ahead uh, to what what may happen next week at uh, Illinois uh, with with the Big Ten West and uh, see how Illinois does against Michigan State on uh, on Saturday. Michigan State suspended four more players last night, uh, so that's eight players that have been suspended from the uh, the melee uh, in the tunnel uh, at Michigan, and we'll see what else happens. Uh, with that uh, uh, situation as it as it moves forward. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us uh, on the Bowlers Extra podcast and uh, have a good day.